if you would, I would, I would encourage you to uh, take your Bible this morning if you've brought one or if there's one in the pew in front of you. Uh, we're going to continue our series this morning in Isaiah chapter 9 uh, concerning the coming king. And we've been talking about the various titles uh, that coincide with this coming king who would rule and reign as we will see this morning uh, in the text of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, with a peace that has no end to it. Now, it doesn't take a person very long, does it, while you're uh, clicking through news stations, at least over the last year, to end up really recognizing a longing in your own heart for various different groups of people. You think of all the wars that are happening. That is the setting of the book of Isaiah, When Isaiah comes to give this particular prophecy, there was turmoil on every side. There was uncertainty. There was rebellion, as we have discovered in the book of Isaiah, that the people of God were not acting like the people of God were supposed to act. And yet then, out of the midst of this turmoil, he he begins to elevate their perspective to bring them hope, to, to lift their spirits, to understand, listen, it Everything else around you might be falling apart, but there is going to be a time where a king will sit on the throne of David who will rule and reign with a peace like there is no end. Reminds me of of the situation when you think about Jesus in the New Testament. He and his disciples were out in a boat, and just the stark contrast between the individuals while the storm raged around them. The disciples are taking water in the boat. They're beginning to have these conversations. If something doesn't happen, we're going to die. And, and it, it waits till the last moment, and they say, you know what? Wake Jesus up. And, and I always come to that text thinking to myself, wake him up? What, he's sleeping and everyone else is in turmoil? And he wakes up. They arouse him out of his sleep. And he sees what's around him. He sees the turmoil that they're going through. And he stands up and he just declares, peace be still. I could only imagine at that particular moment for the disciples, trying to catch their breath for a moment of realizing, this man, Jesus, commands even the sea to bring peace at the right moment when we need it. And I would say to you, in the midst of the turmoil that Isaiah found the people of Israel in, he knew that there was only one person who could bring that kind of peace, who could say to the nations, peace, be still. And this son who would come, this reigning, ruling king that we find in Isaiah chapter 9. Follow with me, if you would, in our text in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 this morning. Isaiah said to the people, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts 
will do this. Do you find yourself at different moments of your life longing for peace? Longing for a sense of tranquility in your soul? Perhaps you come to a Christmas season for the first time apart from someone that you have lost this past year. Knowing the heartache and the pain and the suffering that goes into these moments. Wishing they were here, but recognizing they have a peace that now is unexplainable to them if they are in heaven with Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's the lack of peace that you receive when all of a sudden you realize that you've spent your time and your life doing things that you shouldn't have been doing and there's this, there's this lack of peace in your own life and you just can't seem to settle it. Perhaps a level of illness or anxiety that continues to pervade your mindset. It is this Jesus, it is this king who comes as the prince of peace, who has come to rule in the reign in, rule and reign in the hearts of humanity by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Now we think about this as we, as we come to this text this morning and we, and we consider this reality that the coming king is a prince who will bring peace. This is not optional. This is not a hope so. This is a sure thing in the mind of God. There will be a moment where, you, where, where we will see one day this ruling and reigning king of Isaiah 9 sitting on the throne of David, and we will describe that reign as such peace as Isaiah did, that it will be a peace that seems to have no end to it. I don't know about you, but I really can't wait to see that. I really cannot wait to hear people talk about this one with such magnificence, with such peace, with such sacrifice and humility that they would describe all of who he is in this title of the coming king as the prince of peace. So fitting after we talked about all of these titles, they culminate in this reality of the prince of peace. We've been, we've been over the wonderful counselor and the wisdom that it would take to rule and reign with peace. Seeming of all the nations that are raging around in the time of Isaiah, this one, this mighty God who would come and put them all to a place where there will be peace. Where you have an everlasting father whose description of who he is is magnified by how he cares. And then it's even elevated to even a further degree in Isaiah's mind as he culminates in this last title. And I think this is a climactic component of all the titles because all of the rest of, of, of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 and all about his kingdom is what it describes after he describes the reigning rule of the prince of peace. The faint shadow of somebody who would come. We know what a prince is. In fact, perhaps if you, were, uh, if you were living in a country where all of a sudden you recognized that the person that you were talking to was a prince, perhaps you'd step back for a moment and say, oh, well, I didn't know. This prince of peace who would come as the son of the glorious king of the father of heaven who rules all creation, he would, he would send his own son 
to bring the peace that had been longed for. It's fascinating, if you look in Isaiah chapter 9, look back in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, where it says in Isaiah's prophecy, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. It's interesting as, as, as Isaiah would speak these words and help us understand the, this, this desire for those who lived in darkness to come to light. And you could remember thousands of years later, during all the silent years between Malachi and Matthew, all of a sudden, a priest by the name of Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, comes into the temple to serve in a way that God had drawn him to serve at that moment in time. He gets inside the temple, and all of a sudden, he sees an angel. And he says, Zechariah, you're going to have a child. And this child will be the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And in the midst of that prophecy, of course, we understand Zechariah's uh, fear and dumbfoundedness about what he's seeing based upon 400 silent years. And he says, how can I know this? And the angel says, well, you're going to be, you're going to be mute. Probably not the answer he wanted. You're going to be mute until the baby's born. And then by the, when that baby was born, when John the Baptist was born, in Luke chapter 1, verse 76 to 79, just listen to these words as this, as this statement of Zechariah's benediction when, he would, when he would, his, his tongue was loosed and he could speak. Luke chapter 1, verse 76 says this and following, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Speaking of his son, John the Baptist. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. There was something that was missing. There was someone that would come, that had yet to come in Isaiah's time, who would bring and give light in the midst of the darkness and guide people's, guide people's minds and their hearts to a way that would be filled with peace. Now, we, we would be tempted, as many, as many Jewish individuals would, would be tempted to believe, coming from the book of Isaiah and reading all the prophetic ministries of all the prophets, culminating that peace would mean simply the absence of war. Because so often in exile, God was using various nations to come and chastise his own people for rebelling and turning away from him. And they longed to have, be back in the city of Jerusalem where there would one day be peace. But it was bigger than that. It wasn't just a ruling, reigning monarch who could put all other nations in their place so that there would be peace, so that everyone would experience the absence of war. There was a bigger dynamic when he says he's the prince of peace, the one who would be filling the world with the absence of war, but would calm the heart of every longing soul who needed peace which is why Zechariah would prophesy of this coming child. He would guide our feet into the way of peace. 
It's bigger than just the absence of war so that we can turn on a news station and say, look, there's nothing I can find about war. The real peace is needed in a different dimension. And yes, will he do that and bring peace among the nations? Yes. But there's something bigger that's at play in Isaiah's mind. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament as we come to the Christmas story as well. Because so much of Isaiah, when we understand the prophecy, is fulfilled in these dynamics when it comes to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. And I think it begs this particular question as we think about it, because it's so important for us to ask, and this is in your your notes and your bulletin, what prevents people from experiencing the peace that is longed for, that, that Isaiah offers in the Prince of Peace? Now, Matthew chapter 1 helps us with this question. Notice in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now let's just simply ask ourselves this, re, this, this question. What is it that prevents people from experiencing the peace they so desperately long for? If you often think to yourself of so many occasions where people would say, what is it? It could, be, it could be a number of different things. But let's boil it down to one reality that I think helps bring a level of clarity in the Bible because so often we think, well, if these nations, if, if they could just you know, help each other enough, that would, would settle it. Maybe a level of fear or anxiety, if, if we could just get that under control, then I would be at peace. If God would just give me this, then, then I would have the peace that I long for. But what is it about this? The very thing that seems to be the thing we long for is the things we can never seem to attain to. What prevents us from that? The Bible gives us one simple, clarifying reality that helps us understand what prevents people from experiencing peace. It's this, sin. You might think to yourself for a moment, come on, it can't be that simple. It's both that simple and that complex in the midst of your own soul. The people who once walked in darkness, do you remember when you walked in darkness? When you couldn't see the light, when he opened your eyes through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, do you know what it was that prohibited you from experiencing the peace you so desperately longed for? It was sin. When God created the heavens and the earth, he desired that he would have worship and he would have honor, and the world would be at peace in a loving relationship with the Father of heaven who would rule over the king as the king of the earth and all that he created. 
when Adam and Eve took that fruit, plunging all humanity into sin, we experience now a life and have, have, have been experiencing from the moment of, of, of our own lifetime, from the time we came into existence, even till now, and for generations and generations, people have longed for peace, but you know what they don't long for? To recognize that sin is the very thing that prevents them from experiencing the peace they so de desperately long for. See, it's interesting in Romans chapter three, verses 10, where Paul is expressing this reality that we're just all sinners and in need of the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would start by saying this in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Why is that? Because sin is ruling and reigning in their life. And then he moves to verse 15, and notice this, he says, their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery. Now catch this in verse 17. The way of peace they have not known. See, there's something bigger here than just the absence of war and the Prince of Peace and what he's coming and what he was coming to do. He was guiding people to not just the absence of war, not just from the tyranny of Rome or any other nation that would come there after them. He was guiding them to put their heart at peace because their heart was doing something. Why was it not at peace? Because I'll tell you what, in Romans chapter two, verses four to five, if you write down this text and read this, he says that we are not at peace because the wrath of God is against all ungodliness. You know what, we have to understand the darkness of the soul and understand and prize the, the immensity of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't think to yourself uh, after you know, meditating and reflecting on all the prophecy and all the things that have come uh, true as a result of this coming King, Jesus Christ, if we don't see the need for why he came, we are not enamored when we take a look at the baby in a manger who has come to resolve not just the issue of war, but the peace that God wants every soul to experience by repentance and faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Because the way of peace, sinners have never known it apart from Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, because Romans 3, 23 isn't interesting. He says, for all have sinned. So you're right thinking, man, I came and I wanted to hear this really encouraging message on Christmas and we're talking about sin? What? Guess what? It's because the news and predicament of our situation was so bad that it makes the situation of Jesus coming so good. It is that very thing that elevates us out of our despair, anxiety, and all of this, uh, the, the cultural components where we, we see animosity in our culture. But there is something deeper in your soul that longs for a peace that passes all understanding that only one person alone can give you, and his name is Jesus Christ, the baby who came in this manger. 
So interesting that all of these prophetic ministries of the prophets from, from the past in the scripture, of all the ways that would, would be expressed, it's interesting that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. As Daniel received a prophetic word hundreds of years after the prophet Isaiah, and he gives a prophecy of 70 weeks, but he says this. He says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Maybe you're sitting here and you're asking yourself the question, what is God doing up there? Is he not resolving the situation that we find ourselves in? Does he not know that nations are at war? Yes, he does. But he knows that nations and people filled with hatred, wherever they may be found, are a result of the hatred that coincides with the sin that rules and reigns in their life. And Jesus would say, if you hate another person, and as if you have murdered them in your heart, because all of, all of these proponents and behaviors of sin come from a heart that is absent of Christ and the peace of God. Well, what is he doing? He is making all things right, all the prophecies, all of Isaiah 9, Isaiah 2, Daniel chapter 9. What is he doing? He, he said it right there. Did you catch it? To, to put an end to sin. He's going to take his own son, the Prince of Peace, and he will sacrifice him on the cross so that you and I can find peace when we look to him alone through repentance and faith in his salvation. You know, so fascinating that even Mary, so often in various different backgrounds, people have elevated Mary to a, to a higher ranking position. And even Mary recognized in opposition to this idea of some kind of immaculate conception. That in Luke chapter 1 verse 47, that she would say, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ herself, recognized that she was, there was no absence of sin even in her own heart. And that this baby who would come, that she stared into the, into the eyes of the Savior who was born to her. And she would say, my Savior. Well, the king would be sent to put an end to this sin, which leads to this reality of the next question that we want to think about together. What can provide people with peace? So often when it comes to thinking about peace and the longing for it, it most naturally would arise that the question that would come in our minds would be the fact that we want it, well then who can provide it? Do we need a great strong ruler? What kind of person? Do we need a, a certain kind of individual in the Oval Office? Or what will that person look like? And what will his, what will his presence feel like and, experience, and we will experience from them? Who can provide that? Isaiah 9 gives us the solution. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father would send the prince of peace. 
his own son. To us, a child would be born, Isaiah said. To us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be, have a title over that throne, the Prince of Peace. So interesting in the text we read in the, in the opening scripture reading with Luke chapter 2, when all of a sudden the shepherds were out in their field watching over the flock, and all of a sudden you have this angelic host come uh, around them, and no doubt almost every angelic encounter uh, started with the phrase, don't be afraid. Because we would be shaking with fear thinking about the magnitude of the kind of, of a majesty that this would represent. And the angelic declaration in Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, some translations will even just describe this, well, and peace on earth and goodwill to men. It almost, it almost seems like in some, the, the, the statement of some translations, like, well, uh, we just want peace on earth, and that could be our, our, our biggest heightened climax to our earthly existence. But recognize the declaration of the angels is peace among those with whom he is pleased. Because the reality is, is the people who repent and turn to Jesus Christ by faith are the ones in whom are found the peace. It is not just peace on earth and everybody gets peace. The people who turn to Christ through repentance and faith are going to be the ones who find peace on earth among those in whom the Father says, because of the work of the Son and your endorsement and allegiance to this Son and recognition of your sin, that you and I could find the peace we so desperately longed for. Peace among those whom he is pleased so fascinating when we think about that declaration. But notice also this, when we turn to Ephesians chapter two. But now, Paul says, in Christ Jesus, who was one, and once we were afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Wow, what a fascinating statement. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What's the dividing wall? It's sin. It's the sin that so weighs on our, in our hearts. We were born with it. Jeremiah the prophet says, in sin did my mother conceive me. From the day of your birth, from the day of my birth, I, had, I, I needed a peace that only one individual could supply. This one who would come wrapped in humanity. 100% God, 100% man who came. Why? To break down the wall of hostility, the sin. And he would bring us peace. What is, think about this, for all the people of Israel who longed for, for, for generation after generation when Jesus would come in the flesh and he says, I, uh, they would say, we want to make you our king. Their whole reality was, remove Rome from us. Let us have the peace that we've only read about during the time of Solomon and David. And Jesus will rule and reign, but he had first come 
as the sacrificial lamb for all humanity to take all sin upon himself so that any who would call upon the name of the Lord could be saved and find peace for their soul. But you know what? There will be peace on earth and of a government and a reign of peace of which there will be no end. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 to 9 says this statement about the rule and reign of the thousand years of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. It says in Isaiah 11, 6 to 9, the wolf shall lie down with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Of a peace like there will be no end. So fascinating, the various components of people that God uses in the angelic story to be able to declare the coming prince of peace. You think about the distraught that the, the prophet Daniel was in when he understood, when he, when he received a vision from the Lord that devastation would be the result for the people of Israel, living in exile, being almost wiped out, and yet Isaiah and Daniel and Jeremiah and Micah, all of them would say one single thing, he is coming to restore people's hearts to himself. He will take their heart of stone and he will make it a heart of flesh, the prophets would say, so that they could find peace. Daniel would hear all of this devastation that was, that was ensued in the vision. And Daniel says, it's so fascinating, and when you get to the book of Daniel and he receives this really hard vision of knowing all that would transpire, but he didn't fully understand it. And he went into prayer, and it says in Daniel chapter 8 and 9 that Daniel was sick inside himself. And at the moment where he prayed and asked for forgiveness of his own sin, in Daniel chapter 9 verse 20, isn't this fascinating? While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me, saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Daniel was at anxiety and discouragement in his own soul over the immensity of the vision that God had given to him. And his soul was in distress, and the angel Gabriel comes and says, I've come to give you a message to help you understand that there, would, there will be a king who will rule and reign. That same Gabriel is the Gabriel that Zechariah met in, in the temple when he was serving, and all of a sudden he meets the angel Gabriel. That same Gabriel comes to Mary when all of a sudden she says, you are gonna be with child of the Holy Spirit, and she's afraid. That same Gabriel comes to Joseph 
and says, Joseph, don't fear to take Mary to be your wife because the child that is in her womb is of the Holy Spirit and he will have a kingdom of his father David, which will, there, there will be no end. Wow, every time that a soul is in, in anxious despair, God uses moments to send messengers of mercy and hear and, and to explain the message that would come, the message of peace. Well, I don't know about you, but when we think about all of the statements of thinking, well, if the biggest problem that prevents us from having peace comes from our sin, and now this one who could provide it is the Prince of Peace who had come in the flesh to deal with our sin, then the natural question becomes, how can I experience the peace of God in my heart? Well, guess what Romans chapter five, verse number one says, look at this. Paul says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace will not come in, other, in, in any other religious affiliation that doesn't lead you to a saving understanding that is in Christ alone, through faith alone, that, own, that saves us. Well, we could have peace. You could have peace that you so desperately long for. But when he says, since we have been justified by faith... This idea of justification is this legal terminology that you stand before the judge and you know that as you stand there, there is something on your ledger that prohibits him from welcoming you into a satisfying, peace-filled relationship with God, and it's your sin. But when you recognize that and you call out to Jesus Christ and, you, and it says, call on me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he says, I will give you rest, you can find that for your soul by being justified by faith in Jesus' work on your behalf. There's nothing you can do. You can't do enough good works. You can't do enough, uh, you know, Things that people would look at and say, oh, well, that merits some level of, of saving once you finally get to, to the point where you're, you're, you're dead. That won't happen. It is not by works of righteousness, Paul says, but according to his mercy that he saves us and he welcomes us to embrace this reality because there is no other name whereby men must be saved other than Jesus alone. That's exactly what Acts chapter four, verse 12 says. No other name than Jesus Christ. You have to dispense yourself of all of the religious leaders of things that are not Jesus. You have to say no to every other element that is not Jesus and embrace the reality that you, you, you have allegiance in Jesus Christ alone by faith for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do that by confessing of your sin and calling out to him for forgiveness, you can have the peace that your soul has so desperately longed for for all of these years. You can have the peace that passes all understanding because the reality is, is that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. But it doesn't stop there. It says, but the free gift 
of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which means in order to experience the Romans 8 where he says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means you have to be in Christ. Which means there's going to be a difference between uh, people in the world. Those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. And I would beg you this morning to ask yourself the question, which one of those two groups of people do you belong? Are you in him? Are you in Christ Jesus through repentance and faith? Or are you outside of the family of God because you have refused to confess your sins and call out to him for forgiveness? Don't stay there. Come to him with your weary soul filled with sin and he will bring it rest. Why is it gonna be so at peace Because when you confess, Romans 10 says, with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now get this verse 11, which we often leave out of this. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Why is that? Because you, by the work of his son, would experience justification, the washing of your soul from sin so that the eternal Father in his eternal care, the mighty God, the wonderful counselor who orchestrated all earth history to send this one baby in a manger who would come so that we could have peace and that we, by looking and turning to him, could not be put to shame because Jesus worked on the cross. And when that is applied to our account, the Father in his eternal care who was previously filled with wrath against our sin and us because of our sin is now at peace with us because of Christ's righteousness that is the gift that you get at salvation that overlays your life and mind through, through confession and repentance. The fact that he would look at you and I as people who are righteous is beyond my human comprehension. That he would no longer be filled with wrath on Josh Stephens because he has given me peace through the work of his son. Believers, it's not just at at the beginning of our salvation that we are going to experience peace. It's through the entirety. Where Colossians, Paul says in Colossians chapter three, verse 15, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Philippians chapter four, he, he gives us the other expression. Uh, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he gets to the end of that passage. And he says, what have you learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things, believers. And the God of peace will be with you. I love that statement. Romans chapter 12, where he talks about the reality of living at peace with one another. That's only possible because of what Jesus has done for us so that we would look at other people and say, I'm gonna try to live at peace and we know what that looks like because we have something that that other person may not have. 
It is to us as believers that Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is the Spirit of love, joy, peace. It is something that you receive, but it is something you cultivate in your life through consistent and continual trust in Jesus Christ for all that he has done. And in Ephesians chapter six, talking about the armor of God, interesting, and as shoes for your feet in verse 15 of Ephesians six, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel that brings peace. I love the fact that we can look into the Bible and we can see the fulfillment of this coming king and we have yet to see here on earth what it will one day be like during Jesus Christ's full reign in glory as the Prince of Peace. Well, when will this Prince of Peace reign? Is it just some illustrative reality as some spiritual component. The Bible gives a reality that the kingdom of God is a literal kingdom. You come to this in Revelation chapter nine, you think we started, if the problem is sin, then what is he gonna do? He's going to eliminate sin by the sending of his own son in the baby in a manger, and then he's gonna complete Isaiah nine by the thousand year reign of Christ in Revelation chapter nine. Listen to what he says. He says, then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As all earth history will culminate into the end of time. After the tribulation, when all the nations are at war and the Antichrist is going to make himself at odds with this one, the sky will break open and Jesus will be riding a white horse and out of his mouth will come the sharpest words to, not, to, not, to, to bring peace to the nations, but he will deal with sin. Please understand, make no, no, no place about it. He will deal with sin. That's why when he says, the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty, what's he against? The sin. Daniel said he's come to extinguish sin, and he will do it, friends. He is coming as revelation, as John gives us in these last statements. It is a thousand years in Revelation chapter 20. Notice this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might no longer deceive the nations. 
until the thousand years were ended, and after that he must be released for a little while. He says, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority was to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and not receive its mark on their foreheads. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Isaiah 9 verse 7, of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. I love it when you get to the prophetic books and it says during the time of the kingdom of God here on earth when Jesus rules on his his throne of his father David that a man will get to be 100 years old, the prophet says, and he will be just a young lad. Now I know some of you who are up in age would like that. To think, 100 years old, oh, you're just a young whippersnapper, aren't you? Why? Because sin... For a time where God has put all things to rest, but there is even one thing yet at the end of the thousand-year reign when, when Satan is loosed one last time, where the hearts of sin, of the sin of men, will come to thwart the king, the prince of peace who sits on the throne, and he will put it down with a word like that. And he will usher in the new heaven and new earth. And of his increase of his government here on earth during that time, there will be no end, and it will translate into an eternity with God. It is to this end that Jesus came. It is to this end that Jesus stood before Pilate and was questioned about being a king. And Pilate said to him in John chapter 18, Oh, so you are a king! And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. It was for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth that everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is calling you this morning, sinner, to have peace for your soul and the sin that resides there through confession and repentance to Jesus Christ alone. You can remember this day, this Christmas season, where your heart and the burden of sin was relieved because you turned to Jesus Christ by faith. I would ask you, are you at peace with God? Have you dealt with your sin? He wants you to have it. He wants you to be at peace. He's offered it through his son. He's provided it through his death. What is keeping you from turning to him by repentance and faith so that you could experience the peace that you can only have when sin is dealt with? Believers, are you allowing Christ to rule in your heart The peace of Christ, are you cultivating it? Are you trusting him? Whatever situation you're going through, loss of loved ones, discouragement, all of the above, are you allowing the peace of Christ to reign in your heart? Do you pray to yourself as Jesus commanded his disciples, let your kingdom come, Lord. Why do we want it to come so bad? Because he will put an end to sin. And he will usher in a time period of peace 
as he sits on the throne of his father David, of which there will be no end. Believers, are you sharing the good news of the gospel of peace with those who are experiencing and don't see that the wrath of God is coming against those who, against sin? It ought to alarm us that so many people would pass by Christmas season after Christmas season after Christmas season, blinded by the reality that they could have the peace of Jesus Christ, but they just don't want it. It ought to burden our souls that there are people who God wants us to share this gospel of peace with so that we can honor and glorify him. Who's going to do this? Isaiah chapter 9 says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And we can be sure that the God of heaven who orchestrated all earth history to send his son to put all of our sin on him is coming back to rule and reign just as he said. And he will put away all sin, all iniquity, all transgressions. Don't wait to have your knee forced to bow to the king who is the prince of peace. Willingly bow today because he offers you as the prince of peace, peace that can satisfy the sin that resides in your heart and my heart and you can find freedom and be peace and be at peace with God and let that peace rule and reign in your heart from this time forth and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you would send your son, the Prince of Peace. Lord, that he would come and he would, he would give rest to our weary souls. Lord, that only you could accomplish something of such incredible magnitude to deal with sin No one can deal with sin but you. And you sent your son for us. You wrapped him in human form. You allowed him to be laying in a manger to have the eyes of Mary and Joseph gaze upon the Savior of the world who created all things, who would come to make peace because of sin in us. He didn't deserve to die, we did. And yet he died in our place. Thank you, Lord. Lord, help us to continue to reflect on this as we think about this joyous component of Jesus being the Prince of Peace. Amen.